It's 2023, time for new changes and new beginnings in Christ. As we approach Fresh Start Sunday, listen in as Pastor Chris Chadwick gives us a new challenge from the Bible for a new year. You may be seated in Joshua chapter 18. I appreciate the music and when you're a music guy and then first thing in the morning you start getting texts that folks can't be there due to illness, um, you begin to really pray for the soon return of Christ. And uh, I'm thankful that Bernie was able to put that together. So I appreciate Bernie and John. There was a time in our church about 15 years ago where we went nine months where John Scheifus was our only instrumentalist. And uh, those are some good times. We uh, enjoyed that very, very much. Very thankful. Uh, for all of that. Debbie and I were gone last week and thankful uh, for you and your faithfulness here at Canyon Ridge and, and just the opportunity uh, that we had to uh, celebrate our anniversary. I want to thank uh, so many of you for uh, your kind words and the prayer that, prayer that you pray for my mother-in-law. Uh, if you're a guest here, my mother-in-law's health is not good. She has stage four cancer and uh, she will be home with the Lord before too awful long. Uh, Debbie will be leaving today. Uh, uh, right after service to try to make it up to church tonight up there uh, to see her mom and she'll spend a few days with family and so uh, if you would pray uh, for them and if you've been through that you know what it's like and if you haven't I know that you can imagine like like we were able to before we went through it so I appreciate um, all of that. I'm excited this morning uh, to preach this message. Now, every year there are a few messages that I preach that um, I preach, uh, I, let me rephrase and say it this way. Every year there are a few messages that I preach at Canyon Ridge without fail. This is one of them. Uh, I will preach this message probably every year for the next uh, however many years the Lord allows me to have ministry here. If not this exact one, then one like it. And there's about four of those that I preach every year that are, I try to keep them fresh. I try to uh, help uh, them uh, to be absorbed in the heart and mind of every person who is here. Uh, but the truth of these messages are just so powerful um, and the text is so powerful that I, I want us to hear these um, regularly. And by regularly, I mean annually, once a year. Uh, so I'll preach one today and one similar next week. I think the beginning of the year is a great opportunity to get things properly aligned in our life. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm going I'm to tell you how I feel. And that is that in my life, I feel like by the time Christmas gets here, like everything's disheveled. Like life is kind of all over the place and, and I'm just trying to keep it together long enough to have some butter cookies and turkey. I mean, that, that's it's just really kind of how I feel so often my life is. How many of you can identify with that? Like life is out, out of control and I'm really struggling and I'm just trying to keep it together to some degree. Well, that's how I feel at times. And so our text today and the message today is one that, I really believe should help us as we desire to grow to be more like Christ. And I want to talk about the subject of escaping complacency. Escaping complacency. Complacency is accurately defined as the improper quality of being oversatisfied with life's circumstances, even to the part of idleness, or the point rather, of idleness or laziness. 
an improper quality of being overly satisfied with life's circumstance to the point of idleness or to the point of laziness. It is quite easy to become complacent in every area of life and no area more so than in our spiritual life and in our walk with God. Complacency. It's easy to become lazy with Jesus. It's easy to become lazy with God. Well, why is that? Because every other value or every other essential thing in our life is calling out for us. If you don't show up to work tomorrow, somebody's probably going to call you. If they don't call you, they're going to stop paying you. If you're in the military, they'll show up and they'll invite you to stay in places for free for a long time. If you work in corporate America, you'll not too awful long and enjoy, you know, some type of food line. I mean, they're, they're, they're calling out for your family, which is an important value. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about it tonight to some degree. Your family calls for your attention. If you have small children, they wake you up even when they shouldn't. If you have a puppy like I do, they wake you up. They're noisy. They want your attention. But the Bible says this about Jesus in Revelation chapter 3, talking to believers who've become complacent in their walk with God. The Bible says this about Jesus. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man will open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Here's a great reality in all of our lives. Sometimes the quietest priorities are the most important priorities. It's so easy to to push the Lord to the side. It's so easy to become complacent in life. It's so easy to become idle and lazy in life. It's a struggle really since the dawn of creation. But in fact, if we were to ask people here this morning, and we're not, but if we were to ask folks here today, you know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, and many people, if you've been in church a while, would go, yeah, I know the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. If we were to say, what are the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, or what's the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah, you might say something like this, well, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was homosexuality, and according to the Bible, homosexuality is without a doubt a sin. The Bible's very, very clear on that. But the Bible says that the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah was not homosexuality. In Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49, it says, Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom, pride, fullness of bread, an abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters, neither did she shrink the hand of the poor and needy. An abundance of idleness was in her and her daughters. She just sat around doing nothing. Sodom and Gomorrah was simply a complacent culture that in reality did very, very little. They were just extremely idle. We were told today that in America, the average American today spends more time on hobbies and entertainment for the first time in human history than they do on their job. More than 40 hours a week are spent on hobbies and entertainment than working. And there's a cry in our culture as well for a shorter work week. And we want people to work as little as possible. 
Matter of fact, you talk to generation after generation, and, and my dad's generation didn't feel good unless they worked 70 hours a week or more. My dad felt guilty if he only worked 69 hours in a week. Like, like hey, dad, how's it going? Oh, I'm under so much stress. Why? Because I've only worked 60 hours this week. Really? He's like, what are you doing? I'm like, man, I felt pretty good. I was working like 55 hours this week. And, you know, you slacker. And, you know, that's my dad's generation. Then my generation between 40 and 50, I, we often hear at Canyon Ridge on the pastoral staff works 70, but 40 to 50 hours a week. And there's a cry now to work less than 32 hours a week. Let's, let's try to work 28 hours a week. Let's try to work 20 hours a week. Let's work as little as we possibly can so we can just be about our own thing, doing our own well, we could have arguments and discussions if we wanted to do that about the cultural implications of you working a lot or not working a lot. And we could have a dialogue about that and I'd be fine. But this concept or this reality of complacency has devastating effects when it comes to our walk with God. You see, here's the reality. Whether you're a Christian here or not, whether you're saved or not, whether you know Jesus died for your sins or not, whether, whether uh, you're 100% sure that if you were to die today, you'd go to heaven or not. And by the way, if you don't know, we want you to understand the Bible says you can know without a doubt that Jesus died for you. The Bible says in 1 John chapter uh, 5, these things have I written unto you that you may know that you have eternal life, even to them that believe on his name. You can, without doubt, have eternal life through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. No doubt about it. But even if you don't, you need to understand this. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12 says in the Bible that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You need to understand this with clarity. I'm not being spooky. I'm just being biblically clear according to the scripture. You are in a spiritual battle. You are in a spiritual war. You might say something like, well, I, I, I'm not even a Christian. You're still in a spiritual war. You're just playing for the wrong team. L leave that up for a second. But for the believer, we're wrestling, but we're not fighting flesh and blood. Your problem is not with your spouse. Your problem is not with your parents. Your problem is not with your sibling, your boss, or your coworker, or the dude across the street. The problem that you have is against principalities and powers. That just means demonic angels and demonic beings in this world, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. You are in a spiritual battle, and the worst place to be in all the world is in the middle of a spiritual battle and yet being complacent. Complacency has devastating consequences. C.S. Lewis in his book, The Pilgrim's Regress, said this. You all know, said the guide, that security is mortal's greatest enemy. Security is mortal's greatest enemy. It was Colin Powell who said, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, is the slogan of the complacent, the arrogant, or the scared it's an excuse for inaction, a call to non-arms. I love that. 
Well, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. My marriage ain't broke. We're still married. Let's just keep moving. Well, wait, there's bigger problems here than that. Ah, yeah, but if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why change it? No, that, that, that is a slogan of the complacent, of the arrogant, or the scared. It's an excuse for inaction, a call to non-arms. Benjamin E. Mays, a Baptist pastor, so the tragedy of life is not found in failure, but complacency, not in you doing too much, but in doing too little, not in you living above your means, but below your capacity. It's not failure, but aiming too low. That is the greatest tragedy. It's not failure, but aiming too low. That is the greatest tragedy. Complacency. Complacency and half-hearted commitment are tremendous problems in our culture and in our lives and in our churches. What happens when an army is complacent and has a half-hearted commitment? What happens when an employee who is complacent, has, is complacent and has half-hearted commitment? What happens when a spirit of complacency grips a husband and a wife? Or a physician? or an attorney, or a teacher, or a judge, or a student, or a pilot. I'll be flying in a couple of weeks, and when I fly in a couple of weeks, I, I don't want a complacent pilot. I don't want him to go, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that this engine works, but it wasn't broke when we landed. We're probably fine. Let's just go 4,000 miles over the Pacific. It'll be okay. Everybody have a have a vest? It'll probably work. Nobody wants a complacent pilot. Nobody wants a complacent president or chancellor or congressman or pastor or complacent church. Complacency and half-hearted commitment can cause catastrophic damage and loss of property, one author said, and life. In our text, we read about folks who've grown complacent in Joshua chapter 18. The Bible says in verse number one, and the whole congregation of the children of Israel assembled together at Shiloh and set up the tabernacles of the congregation there and the land was subdued before them. And there remained, verse number two, and there remained among the children of Israel seven tribes which had not yet received their inheritance. And Joshua said unto the children of Israel, how long are you slack to go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you? How long are you going to be slack? How long? I, I want you to understand some things this morning. And the first thing I want you to understand is that Joshua is rebuking the nation of Israel for being slack in verse number three. The word slack means a, a state of laziness or complacency. How long are you going to be lazy? How long are you going to be complacent? How long are you going to sit here and do nothing? How much longer? The children of Israel have been given the land. It was the promised land. It was promised by God to Abraham. It was confirmed to Moses. It was organized through Joshua. And they had come to Shiloh and, and here they are. And, and, and they're just not doing anything. They're just sitting there outside of Shiloh in their land. and Or not in their land, but just in a holding pattern. Just, just being complacent. They were comfortable. They were happy. They were fine. And Joshua is, is rebuking them for their their complacency. I wonder what blessings of God we miss 
because of our complacency. What victories in your spiritual life you miss because of idleness or spiritual laziness. See, every year we go through the year and we kind of get moving and get moving and then we begin to slow down and entropy happens and we tend towards disorder and, and, and things just begin to happen and we begin to move towards a, a state of idleness or a state of laziness. We become spiritually complacent in our lives. And God is speaking so clearly to us today through this text. And I want you to notice four realities that help us find victory over complacency. Verses one through three, I want you to notice God wants to do something in your life today. Joshua chapter 18, verses one to three, God wants to do something in your life today. The Bible says at the end of verse number three, notice how long are you slack to go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers hath given you. That's, a, that's a, a past tense event. God has already given you the land. How long before you go in and possess what God has already given you? The children of Israel had been in an area called Gilgal and Gal, and in chapter 18, verse number one, they moved to Shiloh. They had set up a tabernacle in Shiloh and, and they were safe in the land. Things were good in the land. They were comfortable in the land. There was food in the land. They were, there was warmth in the land. There was security in the land. Everything that they said they wanted was there in Shiloh. They were comfortable but they weren't possessing the land that God had for them. They had everything they thought that they wanted, but God had so much more for them. And God wanted to do something in their life right then. It's interesting the level of comfort you can have in bad situations. You can be very, very comfortable in a very, very bad and difficult situation. I've had the privilege of helping all kinds of marriages in 30 years of ministry. And sometimes I've seen women in very abusive situations. I, I would not want to cause anybody to, to think negatively, but hear the illustration for just a minute, if you will. I've seen them in very, very difficult situations. And Debbie and I have counseled and we've encouraged them to get help. And maybe um, they need to move to a shelter and get counseling and try to bring some victory into their life and the life of their spouse and, and, and the challenges that are going on. And it's amazing to me that the, the level of excuses that people will sometimes make to stay in very, very difficult situations for fear that something else negative might come to pass. Children of Israel, you're in Shiloh. I have so much better for you. I want you to go in and possess the land that I promised you. I've already given you the land. The land is yours to have. How long are you gonna be lazy? How long are you gonna be slack? There's some barriers in this room this morning. There's some burdens in this room this morning. There's some sin in this room this morning. There's some insecurities in your life right now that God is working on. And today he wants to clarify a step towards a victory or he wants to give you victory. But you sit idly back and go, I don't know. No, you need to understand something with clarity. You need to understand something with assurance this morning. God wants to do something in your life today. 
Well, well, I might get started next week. Well, he wants to do something in your life next week, but he wants to do something in your life right now. Well, my marriage stinks. God wants to bring you either, either victory today or a road to victory today. Well, my job stinks or my attitude. No, no, you need to understand something. God is not some far off God that, that is absent of you and ignoring you. He wants to work in your life right now, right here. Did you hear me? Right now, right here. There's some sins, discouragement, insecurities. You can put whatever adjective you want to put in to describe it. God still wants to do something in your life today. God wants you to have victory today. God wants there to be change in your life today. I've been this way for 47 years. Great. Today you change. Matter of fact, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, 57, but thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a phrase people often use, and I don't know about you. I don't know if you have my type A driven type of personality. I pray that you don't. You're probably happier. But there's a phrase that people use that drives me my mom would say up the wall. I've never seen my mother go up the wall, but she used to say it all the time. So I take it that it's bad. There's a phrase sometimes it just oh, really challenges my, my thinking, my sanity, my kindness. And it goes something like this. Well, I know what I need to do. I just don't really want to do it. I will eventually. Someone will come to me and they'll start sharing something or talking on the phone or send me an email and, and they'll say something like this. Now, pastor, before you respond, I already know what I need to do. I just don't want to do it. What? Well, I, I know what I need to do for victory. I just, I don't really want to do it. Well, why are you telling me then? I have that fix it personality. Like if, if you want somebody to just talk to and share your burden and like, just give me a hug and tell me it'll be all right. Don't talk to me. Yeah. <laughs> I am not your man. I promise you, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be unkind. I, I will love you and pray for you. But if you're like, yeah, I'm not, listen, my life stinks, but I don't want to do anything to change it today. I'm just, I'm just not your guy. I'm just not the one that can help you. Well, why? Because I want to help you. Well, pastor, I just, I just don't know. I, I just can't really make it. I mean, I know what I'm supposed to do. Well, if you're a believer, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, verse number one, wherefore, seeing also we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and run with patience the race that is set before us. Why does God say that? Because he wants us to be victorious. God wants you to enjoy the victory that you can have in Jesus Christ. Speaking to the nation of Israel, he's saying there's, there's land for you to conquer. It's close. Just go conquer it. How many times have we, we said something like, I, I need to do this. I, I, just, I, just, just don't, I, just don't, I just don't want to. I just don't want to. I've got two gym memberships. I work out all the time. And there's just times where I'm like, I need to work out, but those cookies sure look good. 
and you can't work out and eat cookies. So I, I take that back. We got some people here that actually eat cookies while working out, but I can't do it. I'm an all in kind of guy. And so I, I just, there's just times I just, I just, I just don't want to right now. I wonder if we would take a step in the direction of victory through the grace of Jesus Christ and Christ alone, if we might see some battles won over anger in this room. And by the way, anger doesn't mean blowing up at somebody. Just blowing up at somebody, it can mean that. But anger can also mean a deep-seated, quiet seething that brings about depression and discouragement in your life. There might be some bitterness one if we just take a step in that direction. There might be some victory over lust or fear. There might be some victory over a a food addiction or an anxiety. A a bad marriage might be healed. A broken relationship with parents might be mended. If we would just start, start taking steps in that direction and not be, the Bible word, slack. And not just sit back and go, ah, I don't think God will do anything. No, understand, God wants to do something in your life and he wants to do something in your life today. Not next week, not next month. You don't need to wait for 2024 to happen. Just January the 8th, 2023, Jesus Christ wants to bring victory into your life or steps toward victory in your life. It's not gonna be easy. It's gonna be difficult. You spent your life screwing your life up. You're not gonna get victory overnight. It's gonna take some work, but understand, God wants land to be conquered in your life. Make no mistake. Verses four to six, if you read in our text, give out from among you three men of each tribe and I will send them and they shall rise and go through the land and describe it according to the inheritance of them and they shall come again to me and they shall divide it into seven parts. Judah shall abide in their coast on the south and the house of Joseph shall abide in their coast on the north. Ye shall therefore describe the land into seven parts or divide the land into seven parts and bring the description hither to me that I may cast lots for you here before the Lord our God. Number two, number one, not only does God want you to do something, do something in your life today, number two, there's a need for transparency. Joshua is saying, guys, you're going to go into the land. I've got some spies that are going to go reconnoiter the land. You're going to go check out the land. You're going to talk about the, the hills and the valleys, the sources of water, the trees, the timber, where we can build houses, the cities that are in the land that need to be conquered. All of these things, because God said that they were going to live in houses that they did not make, that they were going to work fields that they did not uh, plow. They're, they're going to enjoy things that other people had done out of the blessing of God. And so Joshua tells them, you need to go, you need to check out the land and and I want information back from you. There is a need for transparency. One of the reasons so many people remain complacent is they never allow themselves to be transparent. Everything in their life is private. Joshua knew there was no victory without transparency. There's no victory without transparency. You see, Satan loves a secret. Satan loves secrets. He loves a secret pursuit. He loves a secret passion. He loves a secret past. He loves a secret lust. He loves a secret longing. He loves a secret love. He loves a secret desire, a secret pain, a secret problem. Satan loves secrets. 
Hey, teenagers, listen to me. Teenagers, listen to me. Satan loves secrets. He has no problem with you hiding as much information from your parents and spiritual authority as he can get you to do. Dudes, if you're married, he loves secret thoughts going on in your head and secret websites going on your phone. He loves that. Because if he can get you to have a secret, then he's in control of you and he can manipulate you and he can challenge you and he can defeat you and he'll talk you down off of every spiritual victory there is. Oh, you think you want your marriage, right? What if your wife sees your phone? What if she sees what you've been looking at? What if she sees who you've been talking to? Oh, you want victory in your life as a teenager or a college student? What if somebody you know sees what you've said on that app or that messaging app or see what you're looking at on Instagram or Facebook or, or TikTok or whatever the, the newest and latest app is of the day? You think you, you, think you could ever have that? No, Satan loves a secret. You think you can help people with your marriage? You're so jacked up that, that you should work for a tow company, man. Your life is all over the place. Satan loves that. A secret bitterness that has sprung up and it's just sitting in your soul because in 19... 88, somebody said or did something to you, and, and it could be as real as the day is long, not minimizing the reality of it, but that was 1988. As near as I can tell, that was like three or four years ago. It's an Olympics in Seoul, Korea that year. And we just... We just, we just hide that, we dig that deep, we cover it up, and we keep covering, 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 and before long, we are so covered up that we don't even really know who it is that we are. Joshua tells these guys, you can't keep this information to yourself. You can't keep this information to yourself. You've got to bring this information back to me. And I just want to apply it that this way, that believers, and if you're here this morning, if you really want victory in your life, there is a requirement for transparency. I say this in counseling. You can't get over what you don't let out. Well, I don't want any, now listen, we don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable. We don't want to try to cause anybody to feel any intense kind of pain by any means. But understand, God has put folks in your life to help there be victory in your life. Folks who can be trusted according to the scripture. And let me tell you, normally it's not the people who tell you they can be trusted. But God has put some folks in your life that can be trusted. They can help you according to the word of God. And they will help you find victory in your life as you begin to remove the damage and the falsehoods and the fake you. And you begin to come into, into it begins to come into light who you really are. Transparency. And by the way, let me, let me say this. If somebody were to come to you for counsel and you were to give counsel, according to the Bible, James chapter three, 
The responsibility now on you is so elevated that it reaches the level of, of pastoral responsibility. Meaning if somebody comes and says, hey, I really need to talk to somebody. I've really got a problem. I really need some help. What do you think? If you start giving them anything other than what Jesus said, you're gonna pay a high price when you stand before the Lord. James chapter three, verse number one, the brethren, be not many masters, knowing we shall receive the greater condemnation. For the tongue is a fire and unruly evil, full of deadly poison, the tongue can no man tame. God has called us as we give counsel and as we help people, God has called us to a higher and demands a higher responsibility of us. Why? Because somebody who's being transparent doesn't need your life experience. They need the guidance of the word of God. The word of God is a light to my feet. The word of God is a lamp before my path. The word of God makes my way straight. The word of God cleanses the young man. The word of God changes us and makes us new. Not some dude's life experience. The word of God is absolute truth. The word of God is 100% right. The word of God is written by God. The word of God is absolutely true 100% of the time. And you need to be transparent with somebody who knows it and somebody who loves it and somebody who can share it. Verse number nine in our text, and the men went and passed. Let me go back to transparency. Because there's some of you in here that have been trying to get help for years, but you keep going to great grandma Ethel because she's old. Age does not make you wise. It makes you sore. <laughs> Some of y'all are young. You're like, what do you mean sore? Like when you get up out of bed and you're like, oh, you're tired. No, you're just trying to figure out, can you make it through the day? Like, honey, I'm just not sure I can make it through the day. She's like, well, I don't know where you're going to make it, but you can't stay here. Maybe I'll just curl up inside the dog kennel and you can lock the door. That's, some of you that are older, you're like, oh, I know that feeling. Like, oh, my word. Age just makes you old. Wisdom comes from knowing the word, living the word, and sharing the word. Like, I, be, I have a goal in life to be an old dude, like in his 80s, that prays for people and helps people walk with God. I'm going to be long since retired. I don't know who will be the pastor here, Bernie, because he'll be perpetually 40. Uh, maybe he, I, whoever, I don't know who that will be. But I just want to sit at Canyon Ridge Baptist Church and help people walk with Jesus Christ the entirety of my life. And as an old man, I want to point people to Jesus and I want to point them towards the victory of the word of God. And it's not about Chris Chadwick's life experience. It's not about Chris Chadwick's uh, uh, wisdom. It's about the wisdom of the word of God that brings about change. And if there is a need for transparency, and there is, you need to be transparent with people who know the word of God because you need God to speak into your life. You don't need Chris to speak into your life. No, did you hear me? You need God to speak into your life. You don't need Chris to speak into your life. Now, I might say it in a fun way. I might say it in a weird way. I might say it in a passionate way. That, that's all relative. That's inconsequential. We need to be transparent with people that love Jesus Christ and communicate the truth of Jesus Christ in a very real and practical way to help conform us to the image of Jesus Christ, which is the goal at the end of the day for every believer.
There's a need for transparency. Number three, verse number nine, I'll move on. The, man went, the men went and passed through the land and described it by cities in the seven parts in a book and came again to Joshua to the host at Shiloh. Get started today. And the men went and passed through the land. Complacent people talk about getting started. They're gonna do it. They're gonna do it. In Texas, they say, I'm fixing to do it. I'm fixing to do it. They just never do it. Proverbs chapter 13, verse number four says, the soul of the slugger desireth and hath nothing, but the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. Fat in a positive way, not in a twinky way. Proverbs 26, 16, the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. The seven is a number of, of completion or, or it's a perfect number, meaning it's, it's absolutely accurate. That's why people say like the Lord's number is seven, seven, uh, the number seven. Um, and, and that's true. It's complete. Nothing can be added. And the idea is that the sluggard is wiser in his own conceit. The complacent person is wiser in his own thinking than the totality of mankind. Everybody could tell them what to do. I can't tell you, and I'm sure many of you that are older that have been in spiritual ministry and worked and helped people, I, I can't tell you the number of people that I've talked to over the years that I've said, well, this is what the Bible tells you to do. And they say something like this, not an exact quote, but something like this. Yeah, pastor, that's what they said. And that's what they said. That's what they said. I just, just I'm just not going to do that. It's not going to do it. I know that's what they said, but I'm just not going to do that. Can, can I encourage you? Whatever the issue is in your life, get started today. If you need to get victory over porn and you become complacent in your life, or you become complacent, listen to me, in your thought life, get started today. Well, I might mess up again tomorrow. Okay, you might mess up again tomorrow, but you got started today. There's some positive momentum. We'll take two steps forward and one step back sometimes. Just get started. If you struggle with bitterness in your life, ask for, ask for forgiveness today and repent today and go before the Lord today and just get started today. Well, I might fall back in that again. You might fall back in, but get up and get back out. Just get started. Brothers and sisters, we sit idly by going to do something for the cause of Christ, going to do something to live for Christ, going to do something to submit to the Lord. And we're going to do it next week, next month, next week, next month, tomorrow, next week, next month. And we just live in that God wants to do something today. Today. And some of you are here going, I, I can see it on your face. You're like, no, Does he really want to do something today? I mean, it's Sunday. It's church day. What's God going to do on church day? It's the Lord's day. And then you have an excuse for Monday and you have an excuse for Tuesday. Well, God would do something, but it's raining outside. No, God would do something, but it's sunny outside. 
And, you, and, and the reality is you just come up with a plethora of excuses over and over and over again because you fail to understand this fundamental reality. God really does want to do something in your life right now. Right now. There are some who, who won't do anything until they can do everything. They, they say it like this. Well, I'm just a perfectionist, so I won't clean my room until I can remodel my house. Come on, really? I won't get my life right until I can get my life perfect. No, just take one step today. God wants to do something today. If you're in a jacked up, sin-filled relationship, can I encourage you? Make one step today. It might be the step, for some of you that are single, it might be the step of a breakup. Oh, I feel the tension in the room. I'll say it again, just so there's clarity, because we believe in clarity over agreement it might be the step of a breakup. Well, well, how do you know it? I don't know. I'm just throwing out illustrations that come to my mind. But I just felt like you argued with me, so now we need to talk about it. For, for some of you today, it, it, might mean, it might mean that you go home and you clean out your refrigerator of garbage. Like what, pastor? Well, let's start here. Anything alcoholic. What did he say? Anything alcoholic. Why? Well, because the Bible is really clear in Proverbs chapter 20, verse number one, wine is a mocker, strong drink is raging, and whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. The Bible is really clear in Proverbs 23, 29 to 35, who hath woe, who hath sorrow, who hath contention, who hath babblings, who hath wounds without cause, who hath redness of eyes, they that tarry long at the wine, they that go to seek mixed wine. Look not thou upon wine when it is red, when it giveth itself color in the cup. And by the way, if you've ever made wine, you know exactly what that means is that fermentation process. Take some of you say, have you made wine? No, but my dad did, he told me. He really did. He was an alcoholic before he came to Jesus. And uh, look not thou upon wine when it is red, when it giveth itself color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Why? Because at the last it biteth like a serpent, it stingeth like an adder. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, thy heart shall utter perverse things. Thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea, or he that lieth on the top of the mast. They have stricken me, thou shalt say, and I was not sick. They have beaten me, thou shalt say, and I felt it not. And when I awake, I'll seek it yet again. You say, so what are you saying? Well, I'm saying what Jesus said in the Bible, because the Bible is the word of Jesus, according to John chapter 1, I'm saying some of you might need to go home today and just get rid of the alcohol that's in your house. You say, how committed are you to it? I've written one book in my life, and that was the idea of it. I hate alcohol. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. Oh, it's legal, Pastor. I know it might be legal, but it's still wrong according to Jesus Christ. And it destroys homes and it destroys lives. It destroys families. It destroys folks every single day of the year. 2.75 million years of potential life are lost every year in the United States alone because of alcohol abuse. Number one cause for all major sicknesses uh, that, that in the United States of America. I hate it. I hate it with a passion. Jesus hates it. He hates it 
it with a passion. Many of your lives have been jacked up because of alcohol and you think you're smart enough to win a victory over an enemy that has defeated you every single time you're around it. Get rid of it. Just take a step and get rid of it. By the way, I'm thankful for every amen here, but if you disagree with me, I'm still gonna say it. Why? Because it's on the authority of the word of God and a passionate heart by a preacher to be able to say to you, get rid of things that are destroying your walk with God. Some of you need to go home and clear out some websites. Some of you need to go home and take your computer and throw it out the window. Matter of fact, don't throw it out the window, donate it to Canyon Ridge. If you have a MacBook, really donate that to Canyon Rich. No, I'm teasing. But some of you need to get rid of your computer. Well, what would I play video games on? You won't. Some of you need to get rid of your smartphone. Some of you need a landline. Okay, those are these things. They put wires in the ground many years ago. And you could get a call on it. They used to be connected to the wall, but you can actually get a cordless landline phone. Don't go too far to your driveway because you'll lose reception. But you might need to do that just to protect your own heart and mind. Before you think I'm crazy, they say that the average American today, between 18 and I think it's 50 years old, the average American spends nine plus hours a day on their phone. Nine plus hours. You know how Apple sends you the, the weekly report of time? Between services, somebody came that was at the 8.30 service, and they said, Pastor, I just want you to know, when I gave up Facebook, my time on the phone every day went from six hours a day down to two hours a day. Four hours a day on Facebook. What are you, 112? Some of you need to get rid of it. Why? Because God can't do anything in your life till you do. God wants you to have some victory today, and some victory is you giving it over to him. Let me finish with this. I'm not finished, but I just have to finish. Verse number 10. And Joshua cast lots for them in Shiloh before the Lord, and there Joshua divided the land unto the children of Israel according to their divisions. So here's this group of people. Here's this group of people. They are... This, the nation of Israel, they're in Shiloh. They're rebuked by their leader. How long are you going to be slack? How long before you do what you've been told to do by the Lord? God's given you the land. How long before you do it? Now, I want you guys to go do it, and, and I want you to come back, and we're going to divide up the land. So go now, and they leave, and they go, and then they come back, and they go to divide the land. Now, now think about this. They divide the land up, however the land is divided up, and they just trust the Lord on this point, because as we read the scripture, and we just, for the sake of time, I won't read the whole text. We, we um, don't, don't have time to do that. But when, when they come back, they basically identify the dividing parts of the land and the boundaries of the new land. And they put numbers, if you will, into a hat and representatives from each of the seven tribes of Israel come and select a number out of the hat. And where they go, for the rest of their life and, and their kids' lives and their offspring's life for, for, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years is going to be dependent on the number that they pick out of the hat, if you will. And so somebody might come from like the tribe of, of Gad, and, which is a name, if you're new to church, it's the name of one of the tribes of, of Israel. 
somebody might come from the tribe of Gad and select a number, and they have always dreamed of living in the mountains. Like, Like John Denver was their favorite singer, and Take Me Home Mountain Mama was their anthem. I mean, that was... That was it. They, they wanted to live in the mountains. They, that's just, they, you know, Call of the Wild is the book they read. You know, that's just who they are. And, and they want to be in the mountains, and they're going to be in, in the low-level valleys like the Midwest, and that's their land. And they had to submit to that. And somebody might have wanted the coastal property, They're like me. They love the ocean. They need to be near water. I need to smell the salt water in the air. It fills my soul when I smell the salt water. When I smell dust, it just drives me nuts. But salt water, man, that's how heaven's going to smell, by the way. And, and I love it. And it just, it's so good. And maybe they're like me. And, and they don't get the coastal property. They get the mountain properties. And here's what we understand when we are escaping complacency. And that is this, that contentment follows submission. Whatever piece of land they were given, whatever area for them and their offspring they were given, they were going to submit to it and they were going to be joyful in it. And contentment followed submission. Submission does not follow contentment. Contentment follows submission. Now, when you say submission in church, every lady in church has been here like, I knew it. I knew it. No, we're, we're not talking about a husband-wife relationship. We're talking about a Christian-to-creator relationship. Wait, wait. What do you mean, pastor? I mean, I have a responsibility to submit to what God has for my life and not to grow complacent. There's areas in my life that need to grow, areas in my life that need to change, areas in my life that need to improve, and contentment follows submission. God has called me to contentment through the pathway of submission that whatever struggle comes my way, I'm going to be yielding on, yielded to him and not allow complacency to rule and reign in my life. Spiritually complacent people are never joyful people. Why? They're living in rebellion to the desire God has for their life. They're living in rebellion. Some battles we're going through are lifelong battles. Some battles you're going to fight for life and maybe eventually get victory, and some battles you're going to struggle with every day. A complacent person is defeated before they ever start, mostly because they don't start. And if they start, they don't plan to continue. It's what I call defeatist complacency, where people just say, I'm just going to always be like this, this is who I am. No, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. I don't know what your past is. I don't know what your background is. I don't know what the sins that you struggle with are. I don't know how good or bad your marriage is. I only know what you tell me. And I don't know everybody in the room by any stretch of the imagination. I don't, even, I, I don't know everybody in this room. I, I don't know any of those things, but I know this. If you're in Christ, you are a new creature. And God wants to give you victory, and he wants to give you victory today. Submit to him. Start serving him today. And understand victory is yours in life as you remove or escape complacency and move forward in honest, sincere devotion and passion 
to Christ. Folks, there's land for you to conquer. There's no time to complain. There's no time for you to whine. There's land for you to conquer. God has some victories in your life that he wants to start giving you today. Not every day is going to be easy. Sometimes it's two steps forward and one step back. God has land for you to conquer. The crummy attitude that you live with that your family sees you have all the time. No, God wants to give you victory over that. The depression that you face all the time, God wants to give you some victory over that. The anxiety that you have and the worry that you have, God says, no, no, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God and the peace of God which has un- passeth understanding will keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. God wants you to live in a state of peace. In a state of peace. Well, I can't. Yes, you can. I can't. Yes, you can. God's promised you that you can. Those of you that don't know, not looking for sympathy, just going to share a story about my wonderful wife. She's a beautiful lady that sang up here earlier. My mother-in-law, Debbie's mom, has stage four metastatic breast cancer through her whole body. And it doesn't look, I mean, not only does it not look good, um, she won't see another Christmas. This was the last Christmas that she had. She turned 74 on the 28th, 28th of December. It was the last birthday that she'll have. Barring the Lord's soon return, which we pray for, but short of that, um, I'll be preaching her funeral service this year at some point. Don't know the day, don't know the hour, but we uh, have full confidence that that's going to happen this year. I have watched my wife go through the grief of that tragedy, like many of you have done the same thing, and am amazed by the level of peace that my wife has. Not every day has been easy. Been a lot of grief, and grief washes over you, and you don't understand it. You've been through that. We've been through that. But grief washes over, but peace reigns. Well, how does peace reign? Through Jesus Christ. What do you mean through Jesus Christ? By knowing that Jesus has a greater plan. By understanding that one day we will see Debbie's mom again in heaven. The Bible says we sorrow not as others which have no hope. Listen, we're going to be sad when my mother-in-law dies, but can I tell you, she's just winning the race before us. She's going to be with Jesus. She's going to be in heaven. And and we won't, the day that she dies, she'll be absent from the body, Paul said, is to be present with the Lord. And and honestly, we look forward to seeing my mother-in-law, even now, I look forward to seeing my mother-in-law in a healed body with full faculties of mind that cancer is currently robbing her of. I look forward to that. There's a peace that we have knowing that God is in control. We're not complacent or ambivalent or going, oh, Lord, why us? That that feeling has certainly at times been there. But God reminds us of his goodness and he reminds us that he's victorious and he reminds us that he has a a greater plan in store and that we want to trust him and we want to yield him. And we're not going to get lost in, in bitterness or complacency. No, we're going to follow Jesus Christ. 
we're going to follow his plan and we're going to follow with joy. And it's been so, so wonderful to be married to a lady who has exemplified that through many tears and sorrows to exemplify the grace of Christ ministering. It's a testimony to me as her husband. It's a testimony to our daughters as her, her children that she's going to love and follow Christ and she's not going to allow bitterness to come in or anger to come in or depression to come in or defeat to come in. No, she's going to be victorious today. And someday she starts every day over and over and over again, knowing that God is in control and I'm simply going to yield to him today. So there might be some dark times in your future. There will be. No doubt. But will you let God do a work in your life? One of my favorite poets, poets of all time is a man named Edgar Guest. Edgar Guest was born in Britain, but he was raised in America, and he was a poet for the Detroit News and Free Press back when they used to put poems in the newspaper. And Edgar Guest wrote one of my favorite poems, the first poem of his that I ever read, and I've got books of his poetry. I, I just love it. It's quintessential. It's encouraging. It's not free verse, which isn't poetry. That's rambling. Poems are supposed to rhyme. And they're supposed to make sense. I was in a literature class one time, and the teacher goes, well, what do you think they meant? I'm like, if they can't tell me, what am I supposed to know? Edgar Guest said this. Can't is the worst word written or spoken, doing more harm than slander and lies. On it, many a strong spirit broken, and with it, many a good purpose dies. It springs from the lips of the thoughtless each morning and robs us of courage we need through the day. It rings in our ears like a timely sent warning and laughs when we falter and fall by the way. Can't is the word that is foe to ambition, an enemy ambush to shatter our will. Its prey is forever the man with a mission and bows but to courage and patience and skill. Hate it with hatred that's deep and dying, for once it is welcome, it will break any man. Whatever the goal you are seeking, keep trying and answer this demon by saying, I can. Answer the demon of complacency by saying, I will not live a complacent life. I will pursue Christ. I will take that mountain. I will follow Christ. Thank you for listening. Hear more messages anytime at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, please join us for a service. We meet on Sundays at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 o'clock p.m.